So today we are kicking off a new series called Bad Religion. <clears throat> Bad Religion. Uh, it's no secret that throughout history God's people have struggled with uh, what we call hypocrisy. Uh, we have at times gotten in our own way. At times we know we've given Christianity kind of a bad name, a bad reputation. Uh, we've even allowed our own behavior to affect other people's faith. We, we probably all know of someone who just walked away from faith or walked away from the church. And, and you ask them why. They say, well, because of hypocrisy. Because uh, believers, children of God, uh, they've not acted how God has called them to act. And the thing about hypocrisy is that God hates it. Um, God hates hypocrisy. And I know for a lot of us, those words may seem foreign. But we have to understand that our God who loves what is good, he must also hate what is evil. Our God who, who loves what honors his name, he must hate what dishonors his name. Our God who loves what is good for his people, he must resent what's bad for them and what harms them. So God hates hypocrisy. And God hates when people go through the motions of faith pretending to bring their best, when in reality they're only bringing their leftovers. He hates when people profess one thing with their lips, they claim his name but live differently than he commands. He hates when his people claim them, him as, as their God but are disinterested in what he is trying to do in the world. And hypocrisy has always been a problem, not just in the church, not just among believers, but hypocrisy has always been a problem for as long as people could claim a certain set of values. Uh, I'll never forget the, the, the day I coincidentally, I, I was uh, in Indianapolis after a NASCAR race, and I went into this restaurant, and, and I had a, a pretty well-known NASCAR driver sit down next to me. And I was a little starstruck, but one thing I knew is that this NASCAR driver, uh, he was sponsored by Coca-Cola. And boy, did he have that allegiance plastered all over the place. You could drive down uh, the freeway in Indiana, and you could see him representing Coca-Cola on billboards. Uh, you could turn on uh, the television, and in between commercials, you could see him talking about how you need to drink Coca-Cola. Um, you, could, you could see it everywhere in grocery stores. Coca-Cola is the best, he, he told us. Uh, you'll never have your thirst quenched better than if you drink this Coke. That's what he said to me, right? And this is why I was surprised when sitting next to me at a restaurant, the waitress said, what would you like to drink? And, and he said, I'll take a Pepsi. <laughs> it took a lot for me. I didn't say anything, but you know when you can say more with a look? I looked over and what my face said was, oh, the hypocrisy, right? And it was awkward the entire meal because he knew I knew. Like, he knew it, right? And, and I could tell when I look on his face. I, I knew he knew, uh, even though it went unnoticed to all the other people around us. And that's a bit of how hypocrisy can work. You know, we can claim a certain set of values, these beliefs on the outside, and a lot of people could believe it's wholeheartedly genuine. Uh, but it may only be you and God who know that's not the case. And we think we can keep hypocrisy hidden, but over time what happens is it starts to leak out. And when that hypocrisy leaks out, people start to get, to get hurt. People walk away from faith because they think that faith is a sham, all because the way that we've lived our life is just a show to them. And now before we dive into our primary text for the day, I want to clear up a misconception about hypocrisy. Um, specifically, how quickly, harmfully, and I believe wrongfully, um, people like you and I can, can label someone as a hypocrite. We give them this label that they'll seemingly never be able to, to throw off of them. And having a genuine love for Jesus, right, but messing up in one way or another, that, that's not the recipe for hypocrisy. Having a genuine love for Jesus, uh, but messing up, right, really loving Jesus with your whole heart, but having a fault in your behavior, that is not the recipe for, for hypocrisy. 
For example, a, a hypocrite isn't the man who sincerely, deeply loves Jesus. He sincerely, deeply loves his wife and he loves his family. Uh, but he watches things on the internet he, he knows he shouldn't. That, that's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy isn't someone who has a genuine heart for God. They, they really do love others, but they lose their temper on 695 and give someone the finger. Um, this one, right? What are you... I don't know what you guys are thinking. But a hypocrite isn't someone who, who gives their life to Christ. They really do. They, they receive this profound love of God and they say, I'm all in with faith. But struggle to put down the bottle or any other vice. That is not a hypocrite. Hypocrisy can, can take on many different forms. But at the heart of hypocrisy are apathy and inauthenticity. At the, at the heart of hypocrisy are apathy and inauthenticity. And those are two things that God simply hates. God hates hypocrisy and the damage it does. But God is not idle, right? He, he's, he's, he's active. And he loves his people so much that biblical history shows us that he would send messengers, we call them prophets, to go to his people to correct them in their ways, uh, to move them away from hypocrisy before God has to deal with it himself. And you can envision the, the prophets this way. Uh, let's imagine that, that you and I, right, we're, we're driving down a, a road that's unfamiliar to all of us. It's, it's a very dangerous, a winding road, and there's, there's cliffs on both sides. And every so many miles, what you and I see is, is this sign that says, sharp curve ahead. Right? It's warning us that if we keep going at the rate we're going, there's going to be danger in, in our lives. And that's kind of what the biblical prophets were like. Uh, there are those signs for God's people to warn in plenty of time about the destruction they were heading towards. I know that we don't like to think that God would allow us to go to destruction or, or God would punish us, but only a loving God would routinely give his people chances before consequences. Only a loving God would give his people chances and warnings before consequences. And historically speaking, that's what God has always done. And I promise you, he's still doing that in our lives today. And so one of God's prophets that we're going to take a look at today, he's my favorite prophet. His name is Amos. Amos. And in Amos's book in our Bible, it's a collection of writings by Amos around 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. And despite it being so old, what we'll see today, I think, is that it's powerful. It's, it's timeless. And what God says through Amos to the nation of Israel, and, and we've got to understand the nation of Israel, they were God's people. They were God's children before Jesus came and allowed us all to be God's children. But what Amos says to the nation of Israel on behalf of God speaks so much into the hypocrisy that we see in faith today. Now, I think one of the reasons I like Amos so much is that he didn't have many credentials. Uh, to the world's eye, he was just plain ordinary. Um, even in his own words, Amos says this. He says, I'm not a professional prophet, and I was never trained to be one. He says, I'm just a shepherd, and I take care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord called me away from my flock and told me, go and prophesy to my people in Israel. He's saying, I'm just a shepherd, but God's told me to go talk to his children and to warn them. And if we're going through just the book of Amos, this would be an entire sermon in and of itself. Because I think so many times, a lot of us, we sit insecurely on the sidelines. Even though our, our faith calls us to be movers, to be shakers. Loving the world every day, waking up and bringing a little bit of light to the world. Going to bed knowing that we removed a little bit of darkness. But most of us, we feel like we're unqualified to do that. That God could never use us. 
Like Amos, he said, I'm just a shepherd. I'm just a fruit picker. We say things like, well, God can never use me because I'm just a delivery driver. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a stay-at-home grandma. I'm just a mechanic. I'm just retired. God can never use me because I'm just a you fill in the blank. But throughout history, what we see is that God almost entirely used the people who would say, I'm just a whatever, to change the world. You see, it's not what we, we, we do for a living that qualifies us for use. It's about giving the, the freedom to the living God to use us however he desires. And I'm so thankful that, that Amos, he, he could have said, God, don't use me. I'm just a shepherd. God, don't use me. I'm just a fruit picker. But, but Amos got past his justa and said, God, use me however you want. So God uses Amos to go to the, the, the popular um, city of Bethel to tell God's people where they have gone wrong. And at this point in time, God's people, they did not care about God. Yeah, they do their sacrifices. They go to the temple. They do their thing. When it came to how they're living, they just let injustice run rampant. They, they turned their, their eyes away from how God had called them to live. They're settling for something much different. Now, when you open up um, to the book of Amos, what you'll see is that the first two chapters of the book of Amos, they're titled, God's Judgment on Israel's Neighbors. So the first two chapters say this is going to be about God's judgment on God's children's neighbors, even though this is a book primarily about how God is going to speak through Amos to God's people. Now, what I'm going to point out next, I think, could be coincidental. I don't know. I'll ask God about it one day. Maybe it's intentional. But as you go throughout the first two chapters of the book of Amos, you see that Amos is naming all of these nations, all these cities who are doing wrong. And if you look at a map, you'll see he, was, he calls out Damascus, Gaza, Ammon, Moab, Judah, Tyre. And what he's essentially doing is, is he's creating this circle and it keeps getting smaller and smaller. And, and guess who's right in the crosshairs? Guess who's right in the center of that map? Well, it's Israel. It's God's people. It's God's children. I don't know if it's coincidental or not. I like to think it is. But after confronting all of these neighbors in the first two chapters, Amos turns his attention now to God's people. And he uses three times more words to confront their behavior. And here's a few things that, that God says through Amos. The people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished, right? We've got to understand that this is more than just an oops, I shouldn't have given them the finger on 695. This is God's people who are sinning, and they love it. They're sinning, and they don't care about consequences. They are sinning, and they don't care about God. It's not just that accidental, I'm asking for forgiveness. They just didn't care. And Amos tells us they just didn't care to the degree that they were selling honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. So there's some human rights issues going on. They also trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. So more specifically, God's people have turned a blind eye to the injustice of the world. They have apathetically and passively just washed their hands of the way that God has called them to live. And that is hypocrisy. And Amos gives them this kind of visual to understand their hypocrisy. He says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? So this was the issue then, 700 years before the birth of Christ, roughly almost 3,000 years ago. And this is the struggle we still face today. We know that God has called us to walk with him and, and to go one direction with our lives. But out of our hypocrisy, we tend to drift another direction. And this hypocrisy just isn't acceptable to God. And here's why. He says, 
You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. God is telling his children that out of everybody I could have adopted, out of everyone I could have chosen, I chose you. And because of this relationship, I've given you the responsibility of showing my love and my ways to the world. And that is a responsibility that you and I still carry to this day. It's a great responsibility. It's a great calling. But I've heard this before. Maybe you have. A great calling plus a great responsibility equals great consequences. Great calling plus great responsibility that we have to show the world God's ways and God's love. If we don't do that, there's going to be some great consequences. And as we journey through Amos chapters 3 through 6, God through Amos, he tells his people some of the consequences they're going to face. If they don't come back to being faithful to him, if they don't come back to doing what he asked them to do. Here's some of the things he says. I will destroy the beautiful homes of the wealthy, their winter mansions and their summer houses too. All their places filled with ivory. I like to think that Amos went and told them, hey, God's going to destroy your beautiful homes. They're like, well, we got that place at Wisp. We're good. He's going to take that away. Well, we got that place at OC. That one too. You know what? All of your places that are filled with wealth, we're going to take it from you. That's how you're going to be punished. And the issue, I want to be clear, isn't the wealth. It's how they are using their wealth. Instead of using their wealth to love the poor, to help the oppressed, and to fight against injustice, these children of God, they're using their wealth solely to love themselves. And that's something God hates. Living a lavish life, calling yourself a child of God, and living a lavish life while you watch other people perish. God goes on and he says, you've forgotten how to do right. And you allow theft and violence. You twist justice, making it a bitter pill for the oppressed. You treat the righteous like dirt. For I know the vast number of your sins and the depth of your rebellions. You oppress good people by taking bribes and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So those who are smart keep their mouths shut for it is an evil time. And then God goes on to address the ignorance of their own behavior. Because what sorrow awaits you who say, if only the day of the Lord were here, you have no idea what you're wishing for. That day will bring darkness, not light. And I think right there, Amos 5.18 is so practical to where we are today because we live in a landscape and in a culture that is justifying sin all the time. And it's so easy as believers, it's so easy as churchgoers to, to look out at other people's sin and say, I can't wait until the Lord comes back. I can't wait until the Lord judges their sin. I can't wait until the day he rewards me. The same thing happened 2,700, almost 3,000 years ago. The believers that Amos is talking to, that God is talking to through Amos, they're looking at everyone else's faults. They're saying, I hope God comes soon to judge their sins. And what they failed to realize is that they would actually be judged more harshly than the outsiders because they know God, and yet they're refusing to live as he desires. God even says that he will reject their worship because of this. He says, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your offering, your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. And God through Amos says, away with your noisy hymns of praise. God rejecting our worship because of how we're living. That's some strong stuff, but great calling plus great responsibility comes great consequences. 
And so there's a section of Amos that I think we can really identify with of all these things that God cannot stand. He cannot stand hypocrisy. He cannot stand when we claim his name but don't live as he desires. He cannot stand when we settle for just coming to church and singing but not getting out there and living like he desires. There's a lot right there that God just can't stand, that he doesn't want to see anymore. But here's what he wants from us. And it's summarized so perfectly, and you may have heard this in one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech. God through Amos says, instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. He doesn't want to see all this hypocrisy. What he wants to see is a mighty flood of justice and an endless river of righteous living. I want to point out two things there that uh, to, to the eye may not be uh, powerful, but when we start to understand the, the original language that Amos would have written in, which was Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, um, these two words really jump out to us because it has deeper meaning than what we do in our language. Because when, when Amos says righteousness, the word he uses, it's, it says sadaka. And it doesn't just, just mean doing good. It says having right relationships despite social differences. Having right relationships despite social differences. That's what he means when he says righteous. And then when he says justice, it's called mishpat. That's what it would be in the ancient Hebrew, mishpat. It actually means I want to see you take actions in the world to correct the injustice. And so what God is saying to his people through Amos is you're not living how I've asked you to live. And you know it. You're distracted. You're disengaged. You're just going to temple. You're worshiping idols. And you're entertaining yourself with evil. I'm tired of all of this. And I'm, I'm sending Amos to tell you before it's too late. He says, instead, here's what God wants to see from his people. He's like, I want to see that they pursue healthy relationships beyond all the lines of division. And I want to see you actively fighting against the injustices of the world. Now, granted, this all begins and ends with our love for God. And we will not be able or, or capable of accomplishing this task if our motivation comes from anything else. If we're doing it because we want people to say good things about us at our funeral, we'll give up. If we're doing it because it's great humanitarian work, we'll give up. The only way that we'll be able to pursue healthy relationships beyond all of this division in our world and wake up every day with the energy to fight against the injustices is when we focus on God's love for us and are motivated by our love for him. And that is our mission still today to pursue those relationships across everything of division and to fight against the injustices of the world. Anything else is at best distracting and at worst hypocritical. In the book of Amos, it closes in its final three chapters with these visions that God gave Amos. And Amos would have written them down as warnings for God's people. And it was warnings about their impending punishment. It was warnings about their hypocrisy and God saying, please turn from these ways. For example, Amos has visions of a locust storm. <laughs> That's going to be real, real for us. I'm hearing in May. Um, there's going to be visions of a fire. Uh, he has visions of ripe fruit. And, and by that, what Amos is saying is that just like ripe fruit you want to reach for, it's ready for eating. So God's people, through their hypocrisy, they're, they're ripe for judgment. And then one that would have really hit a nerve with God's people, Amos says, I have this vision of your temple being destroyed. And for us, we may read that and be like, why is that such a big deal? But for God's people, that would have probably stopped them in their tracks. You think it would have. Because the temple is where they believed God resided. It was this precious space to bring their offering, to find forgiveness, to sing songs. And so without the temple, if it were destroyed, God's people would be disconnected from him. Their relationship would be forever severed. 
And I bet God was up in heaven be like, that is my exact point. Because what good is a temple when in your hypocrisy, the relationship's already been broken off? God is giving a, a visual of the reality to, to show them where their relationship already stands. And I, I could not help but to wonder if this is where we may find ourselves today. If we've settled for far less of a life of faith than what God desires. You know, are we, reach, are we really reaching across all the boundaries of a division that our culture likes to create in order to build relationships, to fight for justice? And are we trying to right the world's wrongs? Or are we allowing social media? Are we allowing news net- networks? Are we, for crying out loud, allowing political parties to create those lines of division where we say, because you think this way, because you believe this way, because you voted this way, I'm going to withhold my love for you from you. And are we so wrapped up in our everyday lives that we're not even taking time to, to confront justice? It, it's not even a thought we've had. I mean, when was the last time you fought against injustice? Now, trust me, you're probably thinking like, geez, Josh found out he's having a third child. Now he's all hellfire and brimstone. I'm going to find a new church, right? But trust me, like Amos stepped all over my toes this week. This is not a message that is being preached at you. This is a message being received with you. Because sitting alone at my kitchen table this week, I felt more convicted than I can ever remember thinking or, or feeling. It was so clear to me. I, was read, I read through all nine chapters of the book of Amos, and I, I finally just shut it, and I sat there alone at the kitchen table on that afternoon, and I had realized I have not been living as God desired. And in all transparency, um, what I told God, what I um, confess to him is that I feel like I've settled for being a pastor, which don't get me wrong. I think it's important that um, we, we communicate biblical teaching and truth, but, but through that, I think I've settled for a different form of faith than what God has desired. I think there's some things, these things we're talking about that as God's children, we just can't miss. We can't just become apathetic to. I remember when I first started following Jesus, I went out of my way to cross those boundaries and love the people who desperately needed it. I remember when I first started following Jesus, I was just so upset over the injustices that were happening. I would go out into, I was living in Knoxville, Tennessee, um, and our, our, our Bible college had a strict, strict curfew. Um, and it was like midnight. And I remember I, would, I couldn't care less about that curfew. I'd be out until 2, 3 in the morning making sure every homeless person I could find was fed. Injustices upset me. And somewhere over these past several years, I got so caught up in what solely happens on this campus. To, to be more blunt, I forgot that I was first and foremost a, a child of God. And then secondly, had this God-given responsibility to be a pastor. And we can dress it up and say, oh, Josh, you shouldn't feel bad. But I, I should, because uh, by all biblical definition, that is hypocrisy. Drifting from what God desires for you to do with your life. And in the book of Amos, and what we're saying today, I, I made a vow right there at my kitchen table this week to God that I'm going to get back to being upset about the things that upset him. I'm going to get back to being first and foremost a a child of God. This is not a retirement speech because I think that that's going to make me a more passionate pastor. And I don't know what it's like for you, but maybe you, for you being a a child of God has become all about what happens in your church life. Maybe you view your righteousness by how often you, you tune in or you come to in-person gatherings. Or maybe you've seen yourself as a child of God, but 
oh, you're the one that's just on the sidelines. I'm going to leave all the heavy lifting to people with a microphone strapped to their face or people who have a church office. God doesn't require anything of me, maybe you've thought. I, I'm just uh, you fill in the blank. Right? Maybe you find yourself, you do your devotionals, and you attend on Sundays because it brings you closer to God. But you know you're not doing much to bring others close to God. You're not fighting against any injustice, and our world is so dark. If that's where you're at, that's exactly where I was at this week at my, at my kitchen table. And what I want you to know is that there is something, God has something much better in store for us on the other side. Because a relationship with God was never supposed to begin and end with Sunday. It was never supposed to be Sunday-centric. What we're doing, doing here is supposed to be a springboard to launch us out into the world to unleash so much fury against the gates of hell, daily fighting for justice and reaching across all of the differences the world has created so that way we can love other people. Anything less than that is hypocrisy. And maybe you're like me realizing just now that we've been a little more disconnected for God's desire for our life than we initially thought. But there's good news. My goodness, there's always good news. If you stop reading the Bible right there, if you stop reading the book of Amos right there, you'd be like, oh my goodness. God actually calls his, his children, he says, you're like fat cows, dead serious, right? Like he says that, and if you stop right there, you'd think, oh my goodness, there's no hope. But with God, there is always hope. And in the book of Amos, seemingly out of nowhere, there is this hard turn from despair to hope. And we, we read that among the ruins of their temple, God through Amos says, in that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls from the ruins. I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. And Israel will possess what is left of Edom and all the nations I have called to be mine. In other words, what God is saying is that after all this doom, after all this despair, one day God's people will change their ways. And one day through the house of David, he's going to send someone who's going to change everything. And guess who comes from David's line? It's the long awaited savior king. It's Jesus Christ. And not only through Jesus, but all of sin and, and error through him, everyone is going to be God's children. Sin will, the, the, the sin will be reversed. We will become blessings to everyone and not just Israel. But anyone who wants a relationship with God will now be his children. After all the doom and gloom, after all the hopelessness and despair, this paragraph shows the only hope that we have of righting the wrong of our hypocrisy. And the only hope is Jesus. It's always all about Jesus. Everything in scripture, even the book of Amos written 700 years before the birth of Christ is pointing to him. He is our only hope of right living. He's, he's our example of how to rightfully live out our faith with the years that we have left in this world. Now, in closing, what I'd like to point out is, is so wonderfully how Amos shows us this relationship between God's justice and God's mercy. This is important to understand that these two can coexist with each other because uh, we have, we're living in a day and age when people really only want to talk about his mercy. Um, people want to talk about, oh, he, he loves us, so he would never, no one would ever have to go to hell. He loves, he loves, he's great, he, he forgives, there's mercy. And a lot of that's true. We also have to talk about how, how God is just and how he will, ju he will judge the world one day. And Amos, he so wonderfully and beautifully pairs together God's justice and mercy. He highlights how God is good and just, so he must confront evil like hypocrisy among his own children. But his overall purpose is to restore this world and invite everyone into his family. 
This is why our everyday faith is so important and why we must not settle for bad religion. What I love about the book of Amos is it invites us to learn from Israel's hypocrisy, from the hypocrisy of children before us, to take warning of the disaster that befell them. And most importantly, embrace the authentic ways that we are to worship our God, which is through justice, righteousness, and reaching across all divisions to even love people different than us. Let's pray. God, it is uh, no secret in this space that you, you kicked my tail a little bit this week in the most loving way. God, I know that there are, are probably many of us here or watching online to where your words through Amos, just like it did 2,700 years ago, has exposed maybe a little bit of our hypocrisy. And I know we live in a culture where just going to church is considered righteousness, and maybe doing a devo is righteousness. Uh, a small group ensures your eternity, but, but God, you've shown us that it's not just about going to a space. It's about so much more. It's about actually living in this world. And I cannot imagine how much more faith in you would be to non-believers if they saw us to not just settle for Sundays, but they saw us actually going out and fighting the injustices of the world. God, there's a lot of people who are not going to care for believers in your name going to right the wrongs of the world, but may we care more what you think than anyone else. May we learn to, to maybe once again, or for the first time, get upset about the things you're upset about. And to fight against these things in a way that honors your name. Not profanity-laced posts or tearing down other people, but to go about your love in this world in the way that honors you. God, I know there are people who would have a great love for you, a profound love for you, if we could stay out of our own way. And thank you so much for loving us enough through Amos to show us our error and to give us hope. And that hope ultimately is Jesus. He shows us how to speak truth and love. He shows us how to confront evil. He shows us where our hypocrisy is. God, allow us not to be bashful towards growth because you have a great, great, great life of faith in store for us if we just get back to your ways and stop settling for bad religion. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.